Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. We are on the fifth week of a uh, five-week sermon series. This is the last week in our Family Traits sermon series. And what we've been doing is, is really that first week I made this joke, but it's true, is that uh, my son Eliam, and to this day it's true, my son Eliam just loves to talk about poop. He just loves to do it. Like he, that's what he talks about all the time. Um, it's like, how are you doing? He just says like, poop face. Um, I don't know what that means. Like if you, if you have experience with kids doing this, I need your help. But he talks about, but the reality is, my wife loves to point out, that's on me, that's my fault. I talk about it a lot and joke about it a lot, and so um, my kids do that a lot. And so um, it, it's a family trait, I guess, for Mason men and boys. Uh, my brother does it, I do it, my son does it, it's just the whole thing. Um, but even more than that, if you look at my kids, like Valor, Salome, Elian, they all look the same. Their baby pictures are very, They look. Uh, some people say they don't, but like just overall, the, the um, the consensus is they look a lot alike. And so there's, there's traits when it comes to families. Families look alike. Families have traditions. They do a certain thing. And, and so at the Grove, we are a family. And there's certain traits that are specific to us that aren't necessarily specific to the church down the street. And that's not necessarily bad. It's just different. Um, it's, it's different. And so we are a specific and unique church family. And so we have specific and unique church traits, family traits. And so the first week we talked about, you know, we exist to see God glorified and enjoyed. And everything we try and do here at the Grove is filtered through that idea that we want to see God glorified and enjoyed. We went through a whole host of scripture. You probably got bored of me uh, reading scripture after scripture where God is, says, I'm for my glory. I am for my namesake. I save people for the praise of my glorious name. And so over and over again, we see through the Bible, everything God does is for his glory. And that's not narcissistic. It's actually really good news for us because God is after our joy, because God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And so um, we want to see God glorified and enjoyed in all that we do. And the things that we do is gospel saturated. That word gospel saturated, we use specifically because we want everything we do to be saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the point of the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. God's salvation, God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is, is the thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation. So all that we do is saturate in the gospel, worship, community, 
And last week, Chris did an amazing job talking about service. Um, and today, we'll talk about multiplication. So gospel-saturated worship, community, service, and multiplication. And so um, uh, Adam read our text today. We'll go back to the Word of God and read it one more time so we can just kind of get this to sink in. Um, and so uh, Matthew 28, verse 16 says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus has already died, and Jesus has come back alive. He's been resurrected on the third day. So this is post-resurrection Jesus. He went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Or they went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped, but some still doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that phrase right there, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means whatever he's about to say next is going to happen, right? He's got all the authority on heaven and on earth. So whatever comes after that phrase has all authority on heaven and on earth behind it. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus says in verse 19, go therefore, because all power on, and all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that word go has long been used by missionaries um, or people supporting missionaries or mission organizations to say, we need to pack up and we need to go to the nations. We need to pack up grab our stuff, get that suitcase with all the stickers on the outside, get some stamps in your passport and go. And that is absolutely in this verse. It's 100% in this verse. Je Jesus wanted people to go. They wanted to leave their home, leave their comfort and go and make disciples. But also in the Greek in this verse in go, um, there's also this sense of as you go, as you're going throughout your life, make disciples. They're, they're, they're really both things are in this verse. So it's not one or the other. We're not fighting missions to say that, hey, we should be disciple makers here on earth in the United States, we're saying both and we, some of us, some of you may be called to go, to leave the United States, to leave your comfort, to go overseas, to, to let your life be wrung out for the gospel in a nation you don't call home today. That may be you. Some of us are going to be called to be doctors, to be construction workers, to be skilled laborers, to be um, teachers. And as we go in those things, we are to make disciples. This is a command of Christ. We're to make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Christians make disciples. And the reality is all of us are making disciples. If you have kids, you're making disciples. If you have friends, you're making disciples. People look at you and you start to become like, they start to become like you. And you start to become like other people too. You're also, not only are you making disciples, you are being discipled. And so you hang around certain friends. You guys start to kind of do the same stuff. You talk the same way. You think the same way. You, your kids are going to grow up, and they're going to be like you. They're going to talk about poop if that's all you talk about. Um, you are discipling, and you're being discipled. This is reality. So the question then becomes, what are you discipling people to be like? Those around your life, as you're discipling them, what are you discipling them to look like? The idea of disciple is to is someone who's learning from you. They're learning from you to be like you. Now, we don't always do this intentionally. 
We don't always just make a decision of like, hey, I'm going to hang around so-and-so because I want to be like them. But it's what happens as you live life together, as you live life in community, which we cannot escape. We can't, we talked about, when we talked about community, you can't escape community. Even the people who hate community will form a community around those who hate community. You just can't escape it. And so as you live life in community, you will become like those around you. And people will become like you. So the question is, are you doing it intentionally? And and who are you discipling them to be like? And the, and the hope would be that you're discipling them to be like Christ, to be like Jesus. I want to read another uh, uh, passage of scripture to you. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. It's a little lengthy. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, this is a popular verse. Most people who grew up in church know this verse. Uh, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That last verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that's the gospel in one verse. In one verse, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the gospel one verse. And so there's this idea in verse 17, right, so that, that we, uh, we're a new creation. For those who are in Christ, we're a new creation. Old has passed away, new has come. Right after that, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, tells them what that new is. We often don't think about, we kind of have our own idea of what that new is. But Paul tells them that new is you now have a ministry of reconciliation. You were once far from God, now you're an ambassador for Christ. Now you are to... Christ through you and through himself is reconciling the world to him. That's the new. So the old has passed away. The new has come. You are an ambassador for Christ. As a Christian, you are an ambassador for Christ. You, like the, so, so the kingdom of heaven is coming. And you are an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven today on this earth. On this earth, we don't always live in the kingdom of heaven. People around us don't live. But wherever we go, we bring it with us as ambassadors. The love of God controls us, he says. He says words like, we persuade others. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for our sake and was raised. So we live for something else. We live 
for a new reason, to be his ambassador for the ministry of reconciliation, bringing people back to God, we get to partake in this incredible work of the kingdom of God. We get to advance the kingdom as Christians. That's our, and that's our, that's our role now. And so, and so we get, so we, as, as, as humans in our culture, we get so caught up in things that don't ultimately matter. So, so football season's coming up, and, 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 wha- and what, do, what do men everywhere do? We play fantasy football. We get into fantasy football. I think whoever made up fantasy football, like, needed a marketing team. The word fantasy just makes me just not like it from the beginning. Like, it just sounds like something that's not very manly. Um, so fantasy football is coming up, and, 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 and you start using words like my team and, and hey, my team's doing this. You don't have a real team. And I'm, and, 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 and I'm going to talk about a lot of things here, and I want you to hear me. I'm not saying any of these things are sinful. They just don't ultimately matter. And so there's a way to use these things that could ultimately matter, but there's a way that we often use them that don't ultimately matter at all. And so fantasy football is a huge one. It's coming up. People are going to do it. People, I have family, I have friends who spend an inordinate amount of time on their fantasy football team really trying to win to get that trophy they made in their garage um, or this, like, this belt they have they bought online, this, like, WWE belt that becomes the trophy. It's a whole thing. There's money involved. Um, so it, it, it just sounds like I'm about to waste my time. And you can spend your time chasing fantasies, um, but you're never going to actually own a football team. Mo- like, I don't think anyone, I'm not trying to just, like, throw judgment on people, but I'm just looking around. We're in Spruce Pine, North Carolina. No one here is going to own a, a football team. And so it's cool to pretend. It's cool to have fun, but it's not actually going to happen. So ultimately, there's no real intrinsic value here, but that's not it. Um, women, I'm not going to leave you alone. Don't worry. Um, and so so you can also spend your time, and this doesn't talk about everyone. I'm not making these are general generalities, and I'm only talking from you know, my own perspective here. So, so, so you can spend your time caught up in the drama that is TV. You can watch all the This Is Us that you want. You can watch all the Bachelor that you want or Bachelorette that you want, and you get so caught up in this drama. And what you're missing is that God's invited all of us into the greatest drama that's ever unfolded in human history, invited us to be a part of it. We can watch drama on TV. We can watch all of it that we want. We can pretend to, you know, play a game in fantasy. We can play video games. We can do all these things. But God's invited us to be a part of something so much bigger than these little things. And we get to advance the kingdom of God here on this earth. God's given it. It's like, it's like, it's like bring your kids to work day every day for God. Now, I never got to go to work with my dad. My dad worked at a nuclear power plant. And for some reason, they didn't let kids go there. Um, I, it makes sense looking back on it now, but at the time, I just, like, you see it on TV, like, bring your kids to work today. I'm like, hey, Pops, why can't I ever get to go to work? Well, I work at a nuclear power plant. You know, like, you just can't. There's, like, armed guards everywhere. And so I never got to do that, but I imagine it'd be awesome. And God invites us to work with him every single day, every moment of our day. We get to go to work with our dad, and we get to advance the kingdom of God. We get to bring the gospel to people who are far from God, who actually aren't far from God because you're there next to them. And so we've been made for this. We were created for this. And so that's why Christians everywhere should never complain about boredom. Like, we are the most bored generation, and we have the most stuff. I mean, like, like in my pocket, well, actually, I think I took it out because it, yeah, I took it out. But in, so mostly, most of us in our pockets or in our purses, um, you have this little device called a phone. And on that device, you have all the entertainment that there is. All of it that there is in the world. You can watch any TV show, any movie. You can read anything that you want on this little tiny device. And yet, we're the most bored generation. 
as Christians, we have no excuse to be bored. We get to partake in this thing that's amazing. Not do we get, only get to, like, I'll, we'll be strong enough. God, Christ commands this. He says, go. He doesn't say, hey, if you think you're strong enough or you think you know enough, why don't you go ahead and just go make some disciples? That'd be awesome. He says, go. Be, I, have, I have all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, go. That's not all he says. At the end, the very last verse of Matthew, he says, I have com- teach them all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as you go make disciples, Jesus goes with you. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I know enough. No, Jesus is going with you. He's got all authority on heaven and on earth, and he always is with you while you're making disciples. This is going to work, and it has worked. I want to give you a brief history of the Grove Church. In AD 30, Jesus was resurrected. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles and gave them power, a purpose, and a plan, and they preached the gospel. And and, and all throughout Jerusalem, men and women were saved. In AD 34, this guy named Saul was riding down on a road to Damascus, and he met Jesus. And Jesus radically changed his life and converted him. And he would make many, many disciples um, him, he, he would become Paul and make, and the gospel would spread further through him and Peter. In AD 80, Christianity spread to the countries of France, uh, Tunisia, and, and 20 years later, the first Christians would be reported in Monaco, Algeria, and Sri Lanka. By 597, Pope Gregory I would send Augustine to England, and in the first year alone, 10,000 men, were, or men and women were baptized. By the year 1200, the Bible became available in 22 languages, and the gospel was able to spread further. By 1462, Gutenberg made his printing press, and that would change forever. It was the biggest communication change in the history of the world before the internet, and that would change how the gospel gets printed and how the gospel can go out in new and exciting ways. But also in Spain, there was this guy named uh, Pope Alexander. He wanted to uh, send Catholic missions to the new world, so on his second trip to the Americas, Columbus brought priests with him. By, by the year 1700, the Great Awakening arose in America, where both George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards saw great revival throughout, the, throughout America and throughout the colonies. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention was formed in Augusta, Georgia, and decided to take the gospel out west. And so I know some of you guys like, oh, he just mentioned the Baptist Convention. We all have weird uncles, um, and so we have some. We all do. It's okay. By 1940, the Southern Baptist Convention of California was organized. In 1959, the First Baptist Church of West Point, California, sent families to Jackson, California, to start a new mission and a new church. And by the year 2003, in Amador County, where I grew up, 30 bus drivers went on strike because of the safety conditions of their buses. And I had to carpool with a guy named Marcus Perry. Marcus Perry went to that, that church, First Baptist Church of Jackson. And I went to church with, I went to youth group with him. And it was, it was, you've heard the story, it was awful. We played really dumb games, um, and I hated it, but I always wanted to go back. And so I kept going back. For some reason, now I have a word for it. It's called the effectual call of God. God was calling me to himself. And by 2005, I was going to another church called Calvary Chapel of Amador. And this guy, Daniel Isarelli, he invited me into his life. He was 26 years old. And I was 16, and he um, invited me into his life. 
Man, when me and my dad would get in fights and I had to leave the home, I slept on his couch. He said he just recently got the smell out of it. Um, I had to, I, I went grocery shopping with him. Just, we went to like the Whole Foods store. He, his, he was a little, a little hippie-ish, um, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not saying anything, but we went to the Holy Fo- Foods store. I go grocery shop with him. He taught me how to cook chicken. Um, I just lived life with this guy. In 2008, I met Mar- uh, 2007, I met Margie in California. In 2008, we moved to North Carolina. In 2016, we planted the Grove Church. And, and so this thing that's happening right here, you men and women who are here, the, the people who have come here, the, the people who have gone out and, and shared the gospel, invited people to church, you're here today because men and women from A.D. 30 have been faithful to make disciples. And it's gone from Jerusalem. Like, this thing didn't start here in America. Like, you realize, like, it started halfway around the world, and it spread throughout time. And so you're here, sitting here today. You grew up in that family you grew up in who shared the gospel with you. You went to that church growing up, or you came here for the first time because men and women throughout history were faithful with the command of Christ to go make disciples. And so not only is this a command, but we can see that it works. Like, we're proof. Like, you have this Bible. You've heard the gospel, if you have. Because these people were faithful, and they just did it. And they just went, and they shared the gospel. So what does this look like? So I'm asking you guys to make disciples. So what does this look like? We're asking you to share the gospel. So I want to read one more passage of scripture. Um, Acts 17, verse 26 and 27. It says, And he made from every man, every nation of mankind, to live on, on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And so God, so here, here Paul's preaching to uh, people um, in, in, in Athens. Um, and, and, and what he's saying is, is God has made from every, has made uh, man from every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So God has, has created you. He's created you for this time right now. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just that, like, the stuff got to the right place at the right time and your parents met. You're here at this time because God has ordained it. And you live on the street that you live in. He's established your boundaries because God has ordained it. You work at the place that you work because God has decided that's where you're going to work for right now. And you might say, well, what if I quit my job and I go get another job? Okay, well, well God knew that before you did, and so he, he, that's where you're supposed to be now. Well, what if I pack up and move? Okay, God knew you were going to say that even here today, and he's ready for that. He's, he's ordained that. And so God has determined your time and your boundaries. And so you live where you live because God wants the people around you not to be far from him. You work where you work because God wants the people around you at work not to be far from him. You play where you play. You do what you do around people who are far from God, yet actually not far from each one of us. So the first thing we need to do is we need to look at our circle of influences. So we we look at our family. We look at our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, those we do hobbies or we play together. And the first thing we should do as we decide, hey, I need to be a part of this. Like men and women throughout history have been a part of this, and they've changed the world. The first thing we need to do is just pray. Like, like pray for the people around you. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family who don't, who, who, when they don't know Christ. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for those people who are around 
you because God has determined for you to be around those people. And so pray for them. Pray that God would open the door for you to talk to them, to spend time with them, that he would soften their hearts to the gospel and pray for them and earnestly pray for them. I'm here today. One thing I didn't share in that timeline, that brief history of the Grove Church, is, is I had a neighbor named Jen Wiley. And, and, and I became a Christian when I was about 15, 16. I don't really know when I became a Christian. It was somewhere in high school. It's just like I kept going to church and youth groups, and all of a sudden I was like, I'm in. Like, I want this. And I don't know. It wasn't like this night. A youth, a youth pastor tried early on to make me pray this prayer, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't effective. It didn't happen for me. I still wasn't sure. I just knew I didn't want to be held. But, like, some point in high school, I just fell in love with Christ. And, and, and I go back in 2008. I move here. I go back to visit, and Jen Wiley invites me over to her house. And, and some of you have heard this story. She pulls out these, these. She's got a monthly, a weekly, and a daily prayer list of things she prays for. And I was on her weekly prayer list that I would know Christ. And so weekly, Jen Wiley would pray for me, pray for her neighbor, Zach Mason, that he would know Christ. I was a little hurt I wasn't on the daily prayer list because there were some names on that one. I don't know, like, if they were closer to her. Um, but I, I did find solace, like, hey, I wasn't on the monthly prayer list. Like, I meant something. But I was in this middle prayer list, and, and, and God, she, God used her and used her prayers. So pray for these people. Pray for the people around you. And then show hospitality. We talk about hospitality a lot here at the Grove because it's that important. I mean, when, 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 when uh, God has defined what a pastor, what an elder should look like, it's a lot of really good things. Like, hey, you should be a man of one woman. And that makes sense, right? Like, hey, like, if someone's going to lead a church, they should just, like, have a heart for their wife and no other woman. Like, hey, they have to be, you know, they can't have a temper. Like, they can't be controlled by anger. That makes sense. If I got up here just angry all the time, like, it would be bad. And if I was abusive with my anger and hurt people, it would be bad. It's funny because there's all these great things. Like, you can't be a drunk. All these great things. And one of the things is they must be able to show hospitality. I just find that, like, a weird thing in that list. Like, you can't be, like, a, a, a womanizer. You can't be angry all the time. You can't drink. And you have to show hospitality. That's how important this word hospitality is to God, that the leaders of his church would exhibit it and show hospitality. So there's a difference between hospitality and, uh, and fellowship. And so when we think about fellowship, we think about Christians getting together. Fellowship's awesome, and we should do it. That's what home group's for. Home group is also for hospitality, but home group is, also, is, is a big part of our fellowship. Showing up to church early is a great part of fellowship. Hospitality has a stranger in mind, someone who doesn't believe the same thing as you. Someone who has different viewpoints, different beliefs in you. That hospitality is bringing them in into your life, bringing them into your— Daniel Israeli showed me hospitality. I didn't, we didn't believe the same things. I didn't know what I believed at that point. I thought God and, and Satan were equals, and they were duking it out, and I just hope God wins. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Thanks, Hollywood. But I just, I just, I didn't know, and he invited me into his life. So show hospitality. Have dinner with your neighbors. Like, bring people from this sphere, sphere, sphere of influence, people you go to the gym with, people you play with, bring them into your house. Go out to lunch with them. Go to the coffee shop with them and just get to know them. Don't, you don't have to, like, freak out and get all sweaty and, 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 and not sure what to say, just, just spend time with them, ask them questions, love them, get to know them, do fun things together. It doesn't always have to be this, like, set, like, hey, we're going to plan this dinner, we're going to cook, and you're going to come, and I'm going to corner you about Jesus. But, like, just do some fun things together. Go tubing. Go play in the park. Bring your kids to the park. Just, you just spend time with these people, get to know them, ask questions, and get to know them. We have some... Um, we talked about Daniel in my life. 
uh, we have people in the church who do this very well, and I love it. Like, there's, a, there's men in this church who invite other men who don't really know God into their home to eat dinner with them. There's women in this church who, who plan uh, who plan coffees to get to know people. Th- th- there's just, th- there's, this is going on, and I, I want you guys to, to be encouraged that you can do this. Like, you can open up your home. You can afford an extra plate at dinner. You can afford to, to go out with someone. Like, and if you can't, then rein in the video games a little bit, get rid of the Starbucks all the time or the coffee. Like, figure out a way, write hospitality into your budget. That's how important this is to God and the mission of the church. And then find ways to serve them. Find ways to serve them. Maybe having them over dinner is a way to serve them because they don't eat well a lot. Take out your neighbor's trash. Mow their lawn. Help your neighbors. Like, just find ways to serve your neighbors. And then eventually, you'll have to share the gospel with them. There's this saying that's really cute. Um, It's just really wrong. It's uh, share the gospel always when necessary, use words. The problem with that is unless you're really good at charades, the gospel is a story, and you're going to have to tell it at some point. Like, words at some point are going to have to come in your mouth. Like, the waitress at the restaurant you go to all the time isn't going to come to Christ because you tipped well. I think you should tip well, and you shouldn't cuss at her, but that's not going to make her be like, oh, I love Jesus now because this guy didn't cuss at me. Like, that's, like at some point, we're going to have to share the words of the gospel with them. And so what is the gospel? What is this gospel? The gospel is very simple. I mean, really, it's, it's, it's verse 21 of 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 uh 2 Corinthians 5 and it's this that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him so the gospel is that is that um there is this powerful almighty creator God who created all things for his glory and you and I have belittled his glory we've said I don't need you I don't want you. We have belittled his name. We've belittled all that he's created. We said, I don't need you. I'm my own king. I'm better at being king of my life than you are. Every one of us at some point, or even maybe right now, we believe that our way is better than God's. We fail to acknowledge him, uh, to give him thanks for the gifts that he's given us, to give him glory for the gifts that he's given us. We question his rule and authority. And God being just, right, and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. God then, not being able to spare his wrath, sends his son Jesus into the world and crushes him. He pours out his wrath on Jesus, the wrath that was due us onto his son, and then God raises his from the dead, and that same power that raised him from the dead goes forth and saves the men and women of this planet, this earth, and his creation. That same power that raises him from the dead is now at work for all who believe. That's the gospel. Like you, like that bitterness you have, you can't do anything about that. That anger you have, you can't do that. That lonely feeling you have when you lay down at night, even if you lay down next to your spouse, you have that lonely feeling. You can't fix that. Your kids, their their um, obedience, their or disobedience, like you can't that addiction you have, you can't fix it. Jesus can. Jesus, and that's the gospel that he, in his love, sent his son to justify his wrath so that you and I 
can have right standing before him. That though we're guilty, he can declare us not guilty. That though we've shooken our fist at him in rebellion, he invites us in as sons and as daughters. And that power that has resurrected Christ from the dead is at work in you and me or all who would believe. And that's the gospel. And the gospel isn't this pill that you swallow and makes you, makes you better. The gospel is more like an ointment you continue to rub on you and you continue to rub it on you day after day after day until one day you're like, I, mean, I get it. I get it now. Like I'm in. I want to get baptized. And so sharing the gospel with your neighbors, with your family, with your friends isn't going to be this one time, hey, I shared the gospel. They didn't respond. I'm going to move on. It's this constant hospitality, loving them, sharing the gospel, and being with them, and sharing the gospel, and sharing the story, and applying the gospel to their life. For me, it was 13 years of varying degrees of faithfulness, sharing the gospel until I had the honor to baptize my father. Man, men poured their life into me when I was in high school. It took years before I was finally like, hey, like, I'm in. I'm ready. Let's do this. Jesus goes with you. Jesus goes with you. You can do this. Church, like, you can do this, and you get to do this. You don't have to waste your time. You don't have to waste your life. You can do this. And the gospel changes everything. There's this story in Acts. There's this town called Ephesus. It's the place where Paul went, and Paul preached the gospel and planted a church. And, and the gospel so turned Ephesus upside down that there was a riot. There was this riot because there was these people who made sinful things. They were manufacturers of sinful things. What they made was they made idols. So they made these idols out of silver, and people would buy these idols and worship them. So what happened was the gospel went out, turned the whole economics of the town upside down to where no one was buying idols anymore because they were worshiping Jesus. So there's no more idols. So the idol makers, they got up and revolted and started a riot. Could you imagine the gospel going forth through Spruce Pine Burnsville, Avery County going forth so effectively that the Spirit of God would do such a work that people who make drugs, who sell drugs, would just riot out of anger because they're not making any money anymore. They can't afford the things they want because no one's buying the stuff they're selling. Could you imagine what our town would look like if families stayed together because the gospel did such a work in husbands' and wives' hearts that softened them towards each other? Could you imagine what our schools would look like if we poured the gospel into our kids. Like just imagine what our community would look like. And let's go work to make it like that. Let's go share the gospel. Let's go invite people in. And that's why we celebrate, because God can do this, and he has done it in us. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper. So in a second, I'm going to close in prayer, and we'll, we'll come to the table. If you're a Christian, and you've responded to that gospel with belief and repentance, man, come to the table and, and, and enjoy and celebrate what God has done in your life. If you're not a Christian here today, that this, the, the, the Lord's Supper, communion is just not for you. It just, it wouldn't make any sense for you because you haven't partaken in, in, in what it symbolizes. And it symbolizes the, the, the blood and body of Christ being broken for us and being poured out for us. And so we'll, we'll sing some songs and we'll pray. But I just want to encourage you that God's going to go for you. You can be brave. You can be courageous because he is with you. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you so much for all that you do for us, Lord. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the faithful men and women throughout history who have heard the call to go make disciples. They've left their homes. They've made inconvenience. They've inconvenienced their own lives. They've made sacrifices. 
for other men and women, for other children, for teens, students. I'm thankful for that, Lord. I'm thankful for that in my own life. I'm thankful for that for the lives of the people here, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we worship you, we'd worship all that you've done in our lives. We'd worship you for all that you've done in our lives. And we, we would just stir in our hearts a passion to bring your name, to continue to bring your name out, Lord. That we would go out in boldness and faithfulness, invite people in our lives, to invite them to church, to invite them to our homes, to share the gospel with them. So I pray now for everyone here today that you would just stir their hearts and stir their minds that we would worship you in all that we do. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.